podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! little chubby lad uh, I think he once described himself as the heavy roller <laughs> um, couldn't run uh, and he just played cricket really um, and then he got into squash at school because he needed a winter sport as well as the gym and obviously the gym culture helped him a lot uh, he met the athletics coach and he, he'd spend two hours a week learning to run um, obviously trained incredibly hard at his cricket and he got into golf, and I think golf was a, a massive one for him. Um, he was so intense with his cricket that that released to get away, and then he found golf, and you know it's, it's a real passion of his now. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Simon Hughes with you here. Simon Mann is sunning himself somewhere in France, and I've been on my travels these last few days as well, watching various games of cricket around the place and catching up with some of my old cricketing acquaintances. Most recently at the Durham Players' Reunion, chatting with Martin Spate, the former Durham and Sussex wicketkeeper batsman who you just heard from there, talking about Harry Brook. Now, Spate was a hell of a player in his own right. He was daring, audacious. He put his front foot down the wicket to quick bowlers and medium pacers and people like me, and he swept them over the leg side. And that was in the 1980s, 20 years before we saw players like A.B. de Villiers and Joss Butler do it. He was a nightmare to bowl at. I wonder what it is about batter keepers. But Spate is at least as famous now as the cricket coach at Sedba School because, as many people know, one of his protégés is Harry Brook. By the way, did anyone see that six by Brook at Headingley over the weekend? It actually cleared the new stand and ended up on the rugby pitch behind. I'm pretty sure no one has ever done that before. Anyway, Spate has worked with Brooke for nearly 11 years and become his sort of personal coach and mentor. In fact, they text each other or speak almost on a daily basis. So we talked about how Brooke has developed into the player that he has from someone who, as he said, wasn't the most athletic at 14. We also discussed the value of playing other sports aside from your chosen one. And we assessed the importance of having flexibility as a coach and allowing players a certain freedom which has undoubtedly helped Harry. Spate reveals that a quick coffee they had during the Headingley test calmed Harry's nerves somewhat and enabled him to produce an important semi-match winning performance. And by the way, Brooke is not Spate's only success story. He's also helped produce other Yorkshire starlets, including George Hill, Matt Revis and Will Frame. So I began by asking him what his secret ingredient was. Hard work. Hard work and enthusiasm. I think if um, young people know that you are 100% committed, you turn up every single day at 20 past six, come rain, shine, whatever, every day of the year, they know you're committed, they're committed, and you know you infuse them and then, then they lead, lead their progress. So does that mean getting up very early and staying till it's dark? Not necessarily, it's just obviously a boarding school like Seba, it gives you that opportunity. You've got all your kids there. Um, there is a massive culture there for sport with the rugby and the hockey beans are very good, um, particularly the rugby historically. 
Um, and so the kids are used to getting up to, to go in the gym, to train, to do you know some closed skills, it'd be line out jumping or, or whatever. So I just, when I started there 13 years ago, I just tagged onto that. And once the cricketers that were there knew that that opportunity was there, and obviously the facilities, that helps. When it's pitch black and rainy, you've got indoor, decent indoor facilities. Um, then the good players, your one or two good players would start coming and then they could start coming regularly, then others would jump in, and then all of a sudden, you know, now, every single day of the winter, there's all four nets will have three kids in, slinging or on machines at each other, working. Um, and they then drive that culture for you. But I think we, we were saying, we were sort of talking about this before, and saying that although coaches have a value, perhaps, and we, we, we can just hear in the background there, by the way, uh, an exciting young player playing for North Ants today, we're at a sort of reunion of... Uh, old Durham players, and this is at Chesler Street, but it's a, a visiting player who's getting all the plaudits today, Pritley Shaw, who made 244 for North Ants in a one-day cup game uh, a few days ago, and today 100 out of 170 for two, chasing a fairly meagre Durham score. So it's been good to watch him bat, obviously not not though uh, for the Durham fans. The art of coaching is quite interesting, isn't it? Because there's all these... And there's he, I think he's out to that ball straight after, so... 100 and out, thanks for coming. Um, and the art of coaching, has, I suppose, has changed a bit. Uh, it was quite prescriptive. And, um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of sort of badges that you had to pass and, and, and drills that you were supposed to use and so on. But I get the sense that you haven't really been party to that particularly. No, I did. I've, I've done various badges, but, you know, I, I was, I suppose, a slightly extrovert type of player myself. And... Um, and, and the one thing I think how I played, I was natural. When I played my best, I knew I was very natural and relaxed, watchable, and, and just just played. And obviously, being a hockey and a squash player, I was, I was sort of fairly um, different to the standard format as how you were meant to play back when we played. Um, and I think, yeah, you need your basics of technique, and you've always got to have your foundations to fall back on. But I think every single player plays it ever so slightly differently and I think the key with coaching is to recognise how people set up how um, they play and as long as you stick with balance, rhythm uh, and alignment as a batter for example then it's about allowing that player to play shots that they naturally do really well with their natural shape and the way they play rather than coaching it out of them. Um, Again Harry Brooks a perfect example for me obviously I've coached him for years but How um, many years actually? Uh, he's 24 now, so nearly 11, uh, since he was 14. And, you know, his strength always at school, you know, he was good off his pads, good against short ball, but his real super strength was hitting the ball through extra cover and over extra cover. And, you know, even now we talk about him, and everyone thinks it's really did. That's just his natural shape of the way he likes to hit a ball, you know, to go inside out and hit, hit bowlers over extra cover. And, and everyone goes, well, you know, it's an amazing shot, and they are. But actually, it's just him being natural. And I think as a coach, that is crucial to, to understand really quickly how a player plays, how a player is going to be successful, and then make that super strength, you know, something that you're brilliant at, and then go with it. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but go with it, um, rather than coach it out of them. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, you watch a lot of cricket now, and people look really nice, they're really good players, but... They, oh, you've got to play this show, you've got to play that show, you've got to hit spinners over the top, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. No, just be really good at what you do. 
you mentioned there about the skills that you had in, say, hockey, uh, which you could see in your batting. I mean, before we go on to you know some modern coaching methods, where did you get your ideas? Because you were a very, I'd say, avant-garde player. You know, you 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 got. I remember you sweeping me over the deep square leg early in the innings, and I'm not a spinner, by the way. I didn't feel I was a spinner anyway. Uh, and, and obviously, getting reverse sweeps and things like that. Where did you get your batting ideas from? Um, when I was at school, I was a very orthodox sort of technical player. Then, probably Durham University, it sort of changed. I sort of um, developed my game. And then, my very first year in full-time cricket, I went to New Zealand at the end of the summer and played in Wellington. And pitches there were quite slow and low. And it, you know, and I wasn't, as you know, I wasn't someone that was great at hitting the ball down the ground with a straight bat. I was much more cross-batted. And I just worked out that. I could use the pace and deflect the ball and work the ball and and practice and because I played a lot of hockey hitting say a sweep you know if you were training three times a week and playing two matches well that's your standard go-to if you wanted to hit a reverse well <laughs> what's the difference what your hockey you're gripping a hockey stick you change your hands pan the stick and and hit it on the edge well I can do that at cricket that's got a bigger bat it's much bigger than a hockey stick and it was just something that I thought um, yeah, that will work for me. And the sad thing was, I, I played a lot of hockey when I finished going to New Zealand. I played, got back into hockey and played a lot. And then I uh, I got injured towards the back end of the winter, and I, I sort of got banned from playing hockey. And from that point onwards, every year my sweeping and reverse sweeping got worse. <laughs> because if you're doing it five, you know, five or six hours a week in another sport, the crossover skills very. You know, you're just seeing a ball, same sort of size ball, same sort of, just using your wrists, moving your feet, getting in the right position, getting your head right over the ball. So I suppose in a way, you would advocate playing lots of sports. And I know, you know, the likes of A.B. de Villiers and Johnny Bairstow so was a good rugby player. Uh, you know, there's lots of examples. Joss Butler was very good at tennis. Uh, and you can sort of see his sort of tennis shots in some of the, some of the shots he plays. You would advocate playing lots of sports, I guess, would you, to become a professional? You know, I think young, um, young sportsmen and sportswomen, the more sports you play, the better you're going to be. And I think even more so now, you know, in the, with the, the professionalism of all sports, you know, you've got to be an athlete first and foremost. Um, and so the more sports you play, but also mentally, you know, it, it's crucial for resilience and determination you know you hear the Neville brothers talking a lot don't you about they played cricket to a good level and they felt that the, the mental skills they learnt in cricket helped them massively in football um, so it's not just the movement patterns uh, you know there are a lot of transferable skills but it's also the the mental resilience and toughness it gives you to work things out when it's not necessarily going your way and I suppose actually also it's an escape sometimes isn't it from if you only play cricket say and you had a bad day or a bad week or something, there's, there's nowhere to sort of take the let, let off steam. Whereas if you play tennis or golf or whatever, and clearly that's something England have done a lot recently, is gone to the golf course, which, I mean, they've always done, but it seems like they've almost made a thing of it now. That you, you go, and, and actually, I know Paul Farber used to say one of the reasons they played football in the mornings before the game, which now is banned because of the number of injuries, but one of the reasons they played football was to sort of take the, the mind off the expectation of performance on the cricket field and have a bit of fun and have a bit of jousting amongst the team as well on another sport. So there's lots of ways that your other sports can play a role, I suppose. In terms of individuals, massive. Team, 
team in cricket is a hard concept because it's an individual sport uh, played as 11 players. So that sort of atmosphere and culture you get when you know when a team's playing really well and everyone is supporting each other and you fail but you're chuffed a bit because your mate's done well um, and you know cricket is unique in that but if you play lots of other team sports where um, you are you know you might not have had as a hockey player you play right wing back you might not have got that many balls you know you, you your team's bottom on top but you've still done your bit and you're still involved in that enjoyment of succeeding and playing well um, so that you know you know I would recommend everyone keeps playing as many sports as they can to at least 16 yeah I get the point when you get to 16 17 you if you want to be really good you've got to specialize but up until then more sports you play the more situations you get put into where you've got to work it out where you, you you're challenged you know and challenges are just there you know some people see challenges as something that's going to stop them but if you see a challenge as something that is a good thing to get over, a good wall to get over, then you're going to grow as a person. What's uh, What's been Harry Brooks' experiences? I mean, firstly, when did you know he was special? And secondly, has he played other sports? So Harry started at Sebba in year 10. Uh, he was a little chubby lad. Uh, I think he once described himself as the heavy roller. <laughs> um, couldn't run, uh, and he just played cricket, really. Um, and then he got into squash at school because he needed a winter sport as well as the gym and obviously the gym culture helped him a lot uh, he met the athletics coach and he, he'd spend two hours a week learning to run um, obviously trained incredibly hard at his cricket and he got into golf and I think golf was a, a massive one for him um, he was so intense with his cricket that that release to get away and then he found golf and you know it's, it's a real passion of his now I think and it's 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 also for him he's still his four best friends from school they all still play golf whenever they can and it's it's a social thing for him obviously he plays with the England lads but it is his I suppose his time mine was painting yes his yes. was his is playing golf and you know, ring up and say, fancy a game of golf, so I'm not playing against you, Harry, you're far too good for me now. It's the ball far too far as well. But um, and, and he'll be the first to tell you, if he hadn't gone to a school, and, I, and I'll give you a great example, Harry hated running, but he spent two years learning to run well, because he knew he had to. He doesn't have to run anymore, just hits boundaries. Yeah, well, he's got a field as well, though, and he's That's turned true. himself into a good fielder, he's to be fair. very good catcher, actually. And um, he... Uh, he, he was in the England on the 19th tour to India and uh, last test match he got frustrated, he got himself out and he, he walked in and he thumped the table and broke one of the bones in his hand so he was in a pot uh, and he came back to school and we had about oh, two and a half weeks of term left in the Easter term and we had this massive run called the Wilson Run which is the toughest cross country, it's ten and a half miles across the fells, it's, it's quite a famous run which the, the sixth form uh, boys and girls have to qualify for and run, and it's, it's probably the biggest day in the school calendar. Um, it's streamlined, it, it's a, a brilliant event, and you've got to be pretty determined to do it. And it's not just about the kid that wins it, the boy or the girls that win it, it's also a team event, so you've got nine boarding houses, and it becomes pretty competitive between the boarding houses. And Harry came back and he had his hand in the plaster and he ran across the fell. He did it in, in one hour 40, which was a good time. 
and he, he came about 20th. Two years before that, he'd have gone, he'd have just sacked it off and said, if you think I'm doing that, but he, he realised there was a bigger picture. And you know that to the credit of him, and he's taken and he's used that in his his life as a as a professional cricket. And I think it's given him a great grounding. Yeah, you can sort of see actually that he's not a natural mover, but he obviously has made himself into a, a very, as you say, a very good fielder. And, and where did you see him? Um, when did you see him? What age did you see something in his batting? that was special and what was that? We knew about him because I'd, I'd seen scores that he'd got in age group cricket uh, when he was 13, uh, particularly down at the festival at Taunton. Um, Is that the Bunbury? The Bunbury? No, that's 15s. It was it's sort of an age group okay. under 13s right. and 13s and 14s and he came on a cricket course I was running in the summer and I had two of, well, actually it turns out to be two or three of his best friends now but they were on this course. Uh, it was a four-day residential course and he came along for two days and he was in the nets, and you know we had some good players. And I was looking at, him, I was sat behind, and um, one of the lads just bowled a ball in his legs on his knee, and he just clipped it away off his pads. And then uh, another lad dropped it short, and he, you know, he was good on the back foot. And I, they were always the two signs for me. You always get kids that can hit a cover drive. You know, you practice a million drives, but when a young player effortlessly clips it off their knee or their hip, and then very good against short ball, and you go, he's got something. And, and he had the scores to back it up and then you watch him a bit further and you go, actually, yeah. And you never know how good they're going to be, mm. um, but you sort of know he's going to be a good player. Um, and then it was, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to stop batting, right? You've had your, no, no, can I bat for a bit longer? And then you start thinking, oh, this kid, and then the next day he'd, he'd come up to me overnight, he stayed the night and he'd come up the next morning, he goes, oh, can I bat, oh, can, can we work on such and such? And, and that was a 14-year-old kid, and you're going, oh, he knows where he's going and what he wants to do, and, and so you you get a feeling, it's a gut feeling that he just wanted to learn more about the game and about his game to be successful, and that coachability, that desire. Um, but also, you talked about his humility as well. He's quite a, a humble, modest, very, un unassuming sort of guy as well, isn't he? Very humble, normal. Um, and, and again, I, I put that down to his upbringing and, you know, a fair extent. And he'll say as well, the school, you know, he, he hated academics. He hated going to lessons. You know, he, he's quite happy to get up at six o'clock in the morning and he would talk openly about, you know, that was tough for him. Getting up, it's November, it's raining, it's cold, but he'd be there. And he, he didn't like his athletics and he, and the penny finally dropped, sorry, his, his academics, the penny dropped when he was about 16. And the deputy head called him and said, look, Harry, to be good, and, and, and we, we sort of had a theory, you, you've got to work hard or do your best in everything. It's not a case of dipping in and dipping out. And he suddenly realised that as a role model at the school and someone who was on a scholarship anniversary, he had to, to be seen to be more than just a cricketer. He had to be seen. So from that moment onwards, he started working you know, to the best of his ability. If he went to the gym, it was to the best. If he played squash, it was the best. If he went running, cross-country running, as, as one of his um, options in games in the winter, he did it to the best of his ability. And, and when that penny dropped, uh, and that's where he gets it from, he, you know, he works hard, he's normal, he's grounded, and he's resilient. And uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that the school has been phenomenal in, in promoting with him and, and you know, hundreds upon hundreds of other kids that, they, they come out of the school very normal, grounded, 
Mm. You know, it, it's a tough, tough school. Are you, um, are you the, are you the thrower? You know, do you do a lot of slinging? Yes. And how's your how's your arm? Uh, well, so, you know, having worked with Harry Brook for ten years. I tell you what, whoever invented the the slingers, the oh, guess what? Because they are they they deserve a lot. You know, some days I'll sling for six or seven hours on the trot. Um, not quite as quickly as I used to be able to do it, but they keep bringing out a quicker and a quicker one, so which is a bonus. But no, I'm I'm pretty accurate with it. I've had a lot of practice. And can you? Are you a sort of Swing it this way, swing I, it that way. I can way. swing it anyway. I'm not very good at the slow balls. You know, I'm a bit later when I flip it out the back. But I, you know, some people can spin and all sorts of. I'm not, I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm good at swinging it. I'm good at landing it where I want to land it. But um, just, just one other thing about Harry. You said that um, he invited you to stay at his home, and he's in touch with you all the time. Um, and so he, 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 he sort of seems to almost even the, during the Ashes, you're staying with him at his house in Berlin Wharfdale which shows there's a sort of naturalness and uh, a kind of like trying to just keep it take the emotion out of it I suppose is the cliche but trying to live a normal life in a way it is I mean his despite the fact he's a superstar really but you know we went for coffee the next morning on the second morning of the you know and he got three in the first in batted three struggled a little bit um, and we just had dinner on the night and I said to him, oh, you know, I've never seen you so jittery, what's the matter? I said, you're 18 for three on a green seamer at the Basin Reserve and you go and smack 180. What, what? And he went, oh, well, you know, there's so much hype and I actually care, you know, this is, everyone's really caring about it. I said, Harry, stop caring, come and play. And he went, right, shall we go and get a coffee? And the next morning we went to the local coffee shop in Bur- and, you know, everyone just talked to him as just Joe Bloggs from down the road and he was in his England tracksuit and everything. And... He does, and I think that's what they try to do. They try to normalise everything, you know. And I, I hear journalists going, "Don't they realise?" And, and ex-players, don't they realise this is the Ashes? I sort of think they've missed the plot. I think McCullum and Stokes, they've tried to get it's just away from that. And it, it, it's a bit like how many times have you heard pundits say, "You're playing in a cup final, an FA Cup final, or a NatWest Cup final, or World Cup final, whatever. Treat it like any other game." And it's really, you, you know, you can't. It's, you know, your, your ambition, your goal. But I think what those two have done, they've managed to take all of that emotion out and it, yeah, it's just another game of cricket. Go and enjoy yourself. And that, you know, he, he says he's been very lucky to come into that environment. It suits him. But he is very humble and normal. And, you know, there's no airs and graces. There's no um, I am. Um, his girlfriend, Lucy, she's lovely. She's a practice nurse you know they're just normal people going about their life um, and trying to keep it as um, sort of simple grounded, as possible, yeah. grounded and, as and, possible. And actually clearly that coffee that you had in Burley and Wharfdale uh, on the second day or whatever of the Headingley Test match obviously did a lot of good because he made 70 odd the next day and, and that was a match winning innings so uh, clearly you have a, a good effect on him. about you uh, so you're now moving from Sedba having been at Sedba for some time so you're moving to Repton explain that yeah I've been at Sedba for just over 13 years and um, I've loved it it's a great place to live in the Dales um, the people are fantastic and, and above all else the kids are amazing because they're yes they know they're lucky they probably don't realize how lucky they are to go to a school like that but um, it's got a great culture and the very grounded kids that come through it um, but you get to a point um, where you go well I've done as much as I can 
I sort of need a, a little bit of a fresh start and um, Repton, my, my parents who I haven't seen a lot of for the last 40 odd years for one reason or other, they live about 10 miles from there and it is a great opportunity for sort of a new lease of life for me as much as anything um, and hopefully I can help uh, replicate and, and improve upon the culture they have for their cricket. Historically they're, they're very famous, CB Fry and people like that uh, historically have come through their, the school um, and it's just an opportunity I thought that was too good to turn down. And, uh, what is the secret to what you're doing? I mean, what, what kind of things would you think you might look to introduce there? I mean, you probably haven't studied the culture that closely, but you know, what, what kind of blueprint can you bring in, do you uh, think, that you've, I, that, that's I, worked I, already? I've always, and I've done it at SEBA, the first thing I did when I was started at SEBA was I went into the prep school and started teaching the eight, nine, ten-year-olds. I'm a big believer that the best coaches should work with the youngest. And, though, and hopefully inspire them. If you can get a culture and, a, and, a, and a, an enjoyment of a sport with eight, nine, ten-year-old kids who would just lap everything up you get, get to give them, you don't have any of that teenage issues at 14, 15. If you can get them inspired and loving it, but actually give them enough skills to have some success in competition, then they will then go through the school and, and create that foundation. Yes, you might have um, players come from other schools at, at various points, sort of year nine, year 10, year 12. But if you've got a core of people that have come through the school, they've bought into you, they know the way you behave, the way you expect people to behave, the way you expect people to, to play. Um, and um, then you have a, the basis of a really good team. Sort of like a good culture, I suppose, in a way. Crucial. Yeah. That, that and and it, it can be ingrained, which they then sort of pass on, and it becomes a, a sort of self-perpetuating thing. And, and, then, and then when people come, they, they sort of naturally gravitate to that because that's what everyone else does. Um, and, if, and, I, and I think you start at the bottom. And, and I think it's really important, and I, I say it all the time, I think I was very lucky when I finished playing here in 2001. You know, cricket was not a well-played sport back then. You walked out, you had to find a job. I set up a coaching business with Neil Colleen up here and stayed in the northeast. And at the start, I had to coach primary school kids, clubs, first-class cricketers, academy, women, girls, everything. But I think that gave me a brilliant background and basis to work from. And I found that actually what I really enjoyed doing was developing young players from sort of 8, 9, 10 through to 18, 20 and seeing that development rather than, you know, I was a good, decent player so I just want to coach the top and uh, everything I do is basically getting it right at the bottom and if you get, get your foundation, same as cricket, you get your foundations right, mm. then you've always got something to fall back on and and also the, the kids that you're coaching and working with, they... Um, they realise that you're as committed to them as a, an eight and nine year old as you are to a Harry Brook at 24. And once they see that, and obviously you've got your role models, then um, you're going to get the right one, the right people that are going to come through and buy into it. And, and every now and then, you get one that pop out, pops out that is excellent, that is you know outstanding. G given your success with, the, with some of the players here, 
have you had a call from England? I mean, have they ever sort of said, come and work with our guys? Or have, mm. they, have you sort of entertained that idea at all? No, I, I did a bit of work with, um, obviously, the Yorkshire lads. Um, I still work with five of the, the batters there. So that's, that's Harry, George Hill. Matt Revis, um, Will Frayne and Don Bess. And I, you know, I, I had, obviously, the three of them were Seb Bergens, but then the other two I met when I was over there and they asked if I could help them and do some work with them. Um, and Mark Chilton at Lancashire has asked me if I can mentor some of their their guys that are finishing playing cricket and going into coaching for them. So I this winter, so I'm going to start doing a little bit of that, and um, he's going to send a couple of them down to work with me, and then I'll come and help. Um, but no, no, I haven't. I just just carry on my way, really. And, and have you had time to, to continue the painting? Last year's been really busy, but I yeah, I've done a lot. I, the Dells is an amazing place to paint, so I've done uh, I've done a lot over the last thirteen years. Um, and again, exhibits uh, or anything anywhere? I had an exhibit in London, uh, a couple of exhi- exhibitions in London a few years ago, but more recently, not so much. Um, just paint when people ask me to do, to do some some paintings for them. Um, has Harry seen your painting? He has. I've got one to do for him actually. I've got one from the World Cup because he's got a ticket. Um, Lucy's ticket which he signed and I've got to do a picture for him to go with that so um, yeah he um, he gets everything for free off me <laughs> and and has he has he seen you bat has he seen any of your I, I think iconic might, innings I think he might have watched a little bit of the NetWest final from 93 but um, he probably says oh the bowlers were only 70 miles an hour yeah they're just dobbers back then yeah. and the pitch was flat clearly um, no he's um you must I, be proud, I, I, actually. I mean, you know, I know you're an understated person, but you were a, a, a groundbreaking batsman. You and Dermot Reeve were the two players I least liked bowling at because you never knew what you were going to do, and you swept what was my best ball over deep square leg for six or four. I mean, it, it, it was a very outrageous way of playing, which really was, was ahead of its time. Yeah, people have... A lot of people have said that. And I saw Peter Moores a few years, and he goes when he was doing the England stuff, and he went, "If you'd have been playing now, you'd have played a lot of T20 games." Um, but I don't really, you know, I'm. I look back on playing cricket, and, and we all loved it. Let's be honest, you wouldn't do it because you didn't get paid a lot. But we all loved it, and I, and I think we loved it because you played really hard, and then you met so many, you know, teammates, but also people you played against. You you know you go and sit and you discussed and talked about the game and you you know you had this wonderful experience and back then they're, they're all the greats of the game were playing and they were just humble people off the pitch that would sit and talk and talk to you about your game talk about how they saw the game and you just listen um, it was I think it was a great time to play cricket I really do um, uh, I think potentially you know. Kid, young players going into the game now, they very much have a sort of set structure of how they're meant to play, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, I want people to find what they're really good at and then be exceptionally good at it rather than having to conform with doing X, Y, Z. Um, and, and not have people like me pick holes in a certain person's technique, which means they've got to change. Perhaps, you know, no, there are at times there will be at times when you do need to change, but overall. You're a, a big fan of, of of doing what you're good at, basically, and sort of sticking at it. But but man, but but in a way, managing that. 
I suppose, and adapting it to to the situation. There is, but then it, it's like with Harry and, and George Hill's the same, and, and you know, someone picks something up, and and whereas in our time someone would pick it up, you go and work it, and no one else would know about it. These days, everyone knows about it, so in a way, it gets picked up quicker. So you go. Or you and mean work an on error? It. Yeah, or something that's slightly a wrong. A weakness, and you go and work on it. I, I'm more, you know, and, and that's great. You work on it, and, and Harry is always wanting to get better. George Hill always wants to get better. But I, I'm still a believer. If you're really good at hitting the ball on the floor, do you really need to whack it out of the park all the time? Um, play your game. Be really good at your the, the attacking side of your game. So in and a way, it's a sort of mindset thing, isn't it? It's sort of more, almost play to your strengths rather than worrying about your weaknesses. And, and I guess you could look at it the other way and go, well, I need to attend to my weaknesses because otherwise my strengths can't come out. But you're saying, and in a way you'll prove right, say for this summer, you know, where Crawley and Duckett, say, play to their strengths and suddenly England are 50 for no wicket after seven overs. And the bowlers are on the back foot. So it does have a, an impact. They, you know, you, you often hear the England lads talking about um, pressure and transferring pressure onto the opposition whenever they can. Um, you know, I, I don't like the term basball. They, they just play really positive cricket, and whenever they get an opportunity, they try and put the opposition under pressure so that their skill sets get worse. And, um, you know, you can say whatever you want, but I would say that at the moment, as a, as a set of players, I think they've got better this summer. I really do. I think they've learned a little bit. Well, especially after um, that second test, haven't yeah. they? Um, but you know, where they got, got out hooking and Harry yeah. got a bit carried away with trying to hack a short ball over cover and stuff. And I think they, they seemed to learn from that, actually. They learned from it and they worked out what they had to do without necessarily changing a huge amount. They just were a little bit cleverer. Now, to me, that is the sign of potential, because they're getting better. Even You know, they've done really well, but they have found a formula to allow their players... To somehow against, you know, the best team in the world at the moment, perform and compete and win, you know, and um, whilst at the same stage being true to themselves. Um, so, you know, fair play to you know they've done a, a fantastic job, and um, they've clearly got an environment where people feel comfortable in expressing themselves. We were talking before. Can you imagine putting Graham Hick in that environment when he first started? So it's like a young Harry Brook. He was 23 when he first played for England. Within a year, Harry's become sort of household. I think if, if, if um, you'd have put Hick into that environment, you know, I, I think he was one of the best. And he, he you know, obviously got scarred mentally by the West Indies because they, they did that to lots of batters. But the pressure he was always under to, to perform was you know especially when he had I mean I think he was playing for England when he'd already got but virtually 100 100 so it was pretty tough for him he came in a bit late didn't he yeah uh, just uh, finally I mean you must have loved the ashes you must have loved watching the ashes but did, was there a bit of you that went oh, I want Harry to do well as well or could, can you detach yourself it's it? like what yeah anyone that's got children it's like watching your son or your daughter play so he goes out the bat and I'm like biting my nails and it it's actually horrendous. I get to the point now where I don't even watch it. I just watch the highlights if he does well. 
So you wait for the news on yeah. the grapevine of how he did. You're like the dad who, in fact, I sometimes used to hide behind a tree when my daughter was batting just so she wasn't aware that I was there. But you actually, you must be thrilled, really, of how it's uh, gone. Yeah, I mean, Especially for him. It, it, well, everything's for him. As far as I'm concerned, all that I've done, the school and everything, it is just to help an incredible, talented player perform. And now, yes, I help him out occasionally with his technique if he wants some help or you, some you advice. You sort of or text something. each other quite a bit. Yeah, most days on WhatsApp, and he will send me videos and say, "Can you look at this?" And um, but actually, I suppose just talking to him and and you know. We've had a lot of ups and downs as, as cricketers, and we've seen a lot of ups and downs. Just, like you say, keep him comfortable and normal and, and positive about his game and realise, like I said to him, he was in touch after Lords, and I went and said, come over to the Headingley Test. And we just sat and I said, look, Harry, I know you're under pressure and you want to score quickly, but actually you're a good enough player just to stand here and if he bowls short at you, you can hook, you can get out of the way. They had no slips. You can even fend it off because there's no catchers. And, and and be a bit choosier and you know he I suppose with everyone everyone just needs someone just to point them in the right direction and tell them they're doing the right thing and be positive about what they are tell me also just quickly <coughs> uh, you, you've got a young girl at Sedba now who you think could be the next big thing bowling wise and when I say big she's six foot two yeah Mahika she's six foot two um, English qualified she's already played for England A um, and has played for Manchester Thunder and Originals. Um, she's not filled her body out. She's all arms and legs, and but um, beautiful left arm swing ball. Gower. Mahika Gower, yeah. Um, dedicated girl, good pedigree, bright girl. <laughs> she will, <laughs> yeah, just spelt slightly differently, but um, but she's incredibly dedicated and focused. Works really hard academically, but with her cricket, she's in all the time, and. When she fills the frame out uh, next couple of years, if she puts 10 miles an hour on, she naturally swings the ball back into the right-hander from a very tall action. Um, I think she's going to be, yeah, she, she'll change the game. Someone runs up and bowls 75 mile an hour, booming in swings as a left arm. It's like having a, Wazimak, a female version of Wazimakram or Mitchell Stark. Or please don't, please don't remind me about trying Akram. to face Wazimakram. Yeah. I mean... He was one of the worst, wasn't he? He was. Well, the thing is, he used to jog in, didn't he? He'd jog in. And then go... Did you ever face him when he bowled round the wicket? Yes, I did. When he I came did. up behind the umpire? Yeah, and you never him. saw him. And then... He'd just pop out suddenly. And if you played at Old Trafford, late 80s, early 90s, it was like glass. Like like um, shiny concrete. Yeah. And it'd be just back of a left, and it would fizz past your head, and then it'd hit you on the boot, and it was like... Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and the worst thing about Old Trafford back then is you were sat waiting to bat side on. Side on, like so you, Hove, like your old ground, so Hove. You, so you couldn't, all you saw was the keeper catching it on the rings. At about 30 yards back. And going, hmm, I remember playing a B&H game against them. And the two slips, was Foxy Fowler. He was, he was chirping me when I walked out to the bat. And they had to get permission to stand outside the rings. <laughs> and slip. And, I, you know, you're looking back and you're going, this isn't going to be very funny. I think Gary Yates was bowling the other end, so I had a bit of a slug at him. <laughs> Got a few off him and then he sort of, uh, yeah, Mr Akram was a little bit special, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, it makes me tremble almost, uh, thinking about having to face Wazim Akram all those years ago. It was an absolutely horrible experience. A brilliant man, Martin Spate, anyway, and what an inspiring coach he has been. He's off to Repton now. And by the way, cricket coaching is not his only skill. He's also a very good painter 
almost following in the footsteps of Jack Russell, doing a lot of his own artwork. You can have a look at that. A lot of it's obviously cricket-focused, but he does other things as well, rugby and personal portraits and so on. Uh, his website is martinspate.co.uk. And by the way, you spell spate, S-P-E-I-G-H-T, martinspate.co.uk. Some really interesting pieces there, and he will do commissions, especially commission work as well. So a multi-talented guy, and hopefully he'll carry on working with Harry Brook. Well, certainly if Brook has anything to do with it, he will, and, and no doubt uh, he will continue to be an incredible success. So that's it for this week. Um, we have our next guest, by the way, uh, is Trevor Bayliss, looking uh, at another coach, another coaching style in a way, coaching London Spirit at the moment. He'll be our next guest on this podcast. Look out also for our sister podcast, Storylines. They've got a really interesting interview at the moment, Melissa Story and Nikki Chowdhury, with Cindy Butts, the chair of that Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket, that report that came out, the ICEC report that came out a while ago, accusing cricket of institutional racism, sexism and elitism. So be very interesting to hear that podcast about Cindy's process through that report and the results of it. You can get that podcast on all normal podcast platforms. And by the way, if you enjoy this podcast, give us a like or even a review on iTunes. Over the next couple of weeks, we're also going to do a question time podcast. So anything in the game that challenges you or flummoxes you or intrigues you, we want to hear about it, Simon and I, and we'll try and answer every question that you post on my Twitter feed, at The Analyst. Uh, We'll have a look at those questions, queries, ideas, and try and process them and give you the best answer we can over the next couple of weeks. So please engage with us and send us your questions and thoughts at the Analyst Twitter feed. In the meantime, enjoy whatever cricket you're watching or playing, and thanks for listening. Podcast Network.